Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Praise the Lord. He does, he does. Well, we're glad that you're here. And we wanted to just kind of talk a little bit about making connections. And especially in this time, how to make connections digitally. And before I get started, I'm not going to give you all these pointers of how to look good on Zoom. That's not my goal here. My goal is really to talk biblically about connections, and we just have to apply it into the context we're in, which is in the digital world right now because of the COVID-19. I don't know if some of you know the numbers and the statistics, but currently, I checked this morning, as of October 9th of this year, 2020, At 9 o'clock this morning, there has been, and these are the numbers that stand out, is that there's 36,790,846 people who were confirmed with the COVID-19. That's the current number right now, as of today at 9 in the morning. I'm sure that number is rising slowly. And currently, as of today... Uh, at 9 o'clock this morning, that 1,067,424 deaths globally, they have died globally with the COVID-19. As you know, uh, many of them are from the United States. Uh, Next country is India and Brazil. And just the numbers keep on going up in, in many ways. And as I was thinking about it, I don't think there's a single person that can especially in the United States, I know, because for me, it was just very distant. It was just like, okay, there's this virus, it's a pandemic, it's pretty serious. But it wasn't until someone that I knew fairly well, his father passed away because of it. And then it hit home. And that's when I realized that in the United States, because there's such a high number, that almost every single American knows of or knows personally someone who has contracted the COVID-19 and someone who has passed away. That's pretty significant when you think about that. And I think this COVID-19 has literally changed the world in terms of how we interact with one another and how we connect with one another. I think now more than ever before, working from home is very desired. Uh, I don't know if it's gonna change, but I feel like if you look at some of the big companies like Google and some of these other big corporations. They are allowing people to work all the way to 2021 from home. And so some people are like, woohoo, you know, because when else can you work in your pajamas and still get things done, right? Because no one knows what's below here. You know what I'm saying, right? So working from home is very desirous. Uh, Others, they want to get out and they don't want to work from home. That's why I think there's a hybrid right now. So this whole idea of working from home, it's It's literally going to change the world. I also believe education is going to change, as many of these different articles and people have mentioned, that it's not just about going to a classroom, but there's going to be a lot more digital uh, online classes and taking classes from different places and different sources. And so I think it's going to change the nature of education and learning. And I think it's a great thing because we can reach the world and many people can grow with knowledge and knowledge is power. I also think social distancing, I don't know about the holy high fives, 
It's going to be a holy uh, air high five or something like that. It's going to change. Uh, I have seen people even just the way they handle their phones and touching the elevators. It's, it's, everything is on high alert. And I think this is really now even mask is more accepted. Uh, and I think more people are understanding that wearing a mask, it is helpful. And so it is literally changing the world. But I want to do this before we think through this whole situation and why it's changed the, our context. I think it's helpful to put things that we go through in life into perspective. Like if you don't have perspective, you, you could either get totally overwhelmed or you just won't care. And so that's why it's important to put everything that we go through into perspective. And it's important because for many of us, this will probably be, hopefully, Lord willing, the only pandemic global pandemic we'll ever go through in our lifetime. It might not, just due to various factors. As some of you know, uh, there was something called SARS. And it's amazing, because I, I just want to see right now, how many of you were alive, you were like, like living when the SARS epidemic happened in Asia? Can I see your hands? Okay. All right, majority of you. Maybe I should do it the other way. How many of you guys were not? How many of you guys don't even remember? Okay, some 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 of us, because I wasn't in Hong Kong, you know. But think about it. Like there are some of us have no idea what that was. So, like I've talked to some people here in Hong Kong. They said I was like five years old. They were like I was like seven. But they remember when they were young that they had to wear masks and there was a scare. And literally, it was just a ghost town here in Hong Kong because it was something that was just unheard of. But I want to put it in perspective, and let me give you, within the 20th century, which is the 1900s, uh, the 20th century, there have been three major pandemics. And when I see, say major, we're talking about the scope and the number of people who have died. And so there was the 1918 a pandemic. It was the H1N1, the first, one of the first ones that labeled with the H1N1 virus otherwise known as the Spanish flu, but they're trying to take away from naming it with a country, but I'm just going to go with what it's officially stated. Uh, what I mean by officially is what's on the internet in my research. And it's estimated that close to 50 million people became infected with the virus. F excuse me, 500 million, not 50, but 500 million. Think about that. Coronavirus is nowhere near it. So you got to put it in perspective of what happened, especially in the early 20th century, this Spanish flu. Uh, back then, that was, do you know how, how much of the world's population that was? 500 million people. It was one-third of the world's population. That is huge. And the number of deaths was estimated to 50 million worldwide. And right now, we're at one million, a little over a million. Just one person is one too many, but just trying to put things in perspective. Then in 1957 through 1958, there was another pandemic. It was the H2N2 virus, which originated in China, and they called it the Asian flu. And it was estimated that there were close to two million deaths because of this virus. So it was a big one, uh, and if you talk to maybe some of your grandparents, uh, they will probably have heard about it or they went through it. And then the 1968 
flu pandemic. Now this was the N3, N2 virus, which was believed to have started in Hong Kong. And within three months, it spread worldwide. And this is the part that's kind of, you got to put this in perspective, is that it killed about 1 million people, but half of the 1 million, 500,000 people were killed who were residents of Hong Kong. So think about that. 1 million people passed away, and half of that, that number was here from Hong Kong, which back then was about 15%, 1-5% of the population of Hong Kong. That's a huge chunk. That means that there's a lot of people who knew somebody who passed away. And then in the 21st century, which is the 2000s and on, uh, there were viruses such as the Ebola virus, the SARS, and it didn't really have a widespread pandemic effect as the other major ones that I mentioned here, but there were close to 36 million people uh, who had this, uh, excuse me, so, so there were, uh, compared to what we have now, uh, 36 million COVID cases and 1.1 million deaths. So uh, it, it's, it's something that we just have to put in perspective. It was much less than that. That's what I'm trying to communicate here. So whether it is digital or back then, they didn't have anything that was as digital as we had. We had to adjust. There was definitely social distancing. People were wearing masks. People were staying home. They were quarantined. A lot of those things were going on. But this is the thing. They didn't have the technology to do what we do. And so more people were isolated back then than ever before. So think about this now. So the question is, we're going through a pandemic called the COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And the question is simply, with the advantage of having technology, how do we still connect with one another? Now, with that being said, I think the challenge for us is that something that we are so used to doing face-to-face, -face, uh, how do you do this practically now, uh, just connecting with people in a digital way? I think we have to remember something that I've been sharing a lot, especially when it comes to contextualization. The message never changes, but the methods can, right? So the message can change, but the methods, or excuse me, cannot change, but the methods can. And so I think one of the things that we get so caught up with is we get so focused on the method that this is so important, and I'm telling you, it can change, and it should change, because we need to adjust to what's going on in the culture. But the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, cannot change. It has to be consistent. So with that being said, think about this. How many of you heard about the virtual reality church? Anybody? Can you raise your hand if you've... Okay, some of you, a couple of you, several of you have heard of it. I remember when I first heard it, I was like, it's stupid. That, that was my first thought. Virtual reality church, what is that? And then I ended up watching kind of like a TED Talk kind of stuff from the pastor who was the first VR church pastor. He's the first one in the history of the world. So, you know, he's famous. So that's why uh, he was speaking. And check out his name. His name is DJ Soto. So I'm like, <laughs> all right. It kind of kind of probably is like a Japanese-American kind of guy. But he is the first VR, 
virtual reality pastor. And so there's a comedian, some of you know, uh, he got into a little bit of controversy, but it, he did a parody, a satire. So I realized in Asia, we don't get this kind of stuff. So some of you go watch this kind of like, oh my God, you get so offended. You either get offended or you misunderstand. So I need to tell you ahead of time. This guy, he made a video and he's making fun of VR church, the virtual reality church. And what he's trying to focus in on is that if this church is real, in the sense of this is what's going to happen in our society, then there's a lot of stuff that's going to change the way we do church. And so he's trying to make fun of it, okay? Don't be like, oh my God, he's so mean. He's just trying to make fun of it. So I want you to at least understand the message that comes out of this, all right? I'm going to, I have to tell you ahead of time, you're going to get offended. Some of you are going to get offended because I know some things are like really sacred and stuff, but so was the golden cap. But anyway, uh, so sometimes we just got to break those things that are so sacred and help us to think, why do we value X and Y and Z? So let's watch this video together, all right? This is the virtual reality church. Crazy, huh? But what he's saying is this. If we have something like a virtual church or if it's online, then we're just going to keep on feeding the self-centeredness that we're all so used to. But the question is this, is it really all that bad? Is God doing something that we have to rethink about how we do church? And I don't know if you know this or not, but it's been amazing just talking to other pastors around the world. They have said that there's been an increase of number of people who have been engaging into their church services or gatherings because the online possibility. Now, we don't know if they're all new members or people from other churches because they didn't like their pastor. So, you know, the, the topic is cooler over here or whatever it may be. But think about that for a moment. That more people are being reached with the gospel than ever before. That's pretty exciting. So I wanted to go ahead and show you um, the actual church. The first virtual reality church with DJ, Pastor DJ Soto. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> And so I just want to have him explain a little bit. And some of the stuff that they do is just like a minute and a half or two-minute video, really short. And then afterwards, I want to show you another quick clip of one of the baptisms that they had and how it, it's there's something about it that was kind of cool and interesting. So I wanted to show that to you. So let's go ahead and watch this. kind of. It was like a newsreel of explaining about the VR church. This is the first one ever in the history of the world. All right, I want to know how many of you believe that this can actually take off? None of you guys? Is it just me? I'll say, yeah, I could be in my pajamas. Okay, guys, this is the one thing, you know? But I wanted to actually show you their baptism because they did a baptism. And remember that this is way before the COVID-19 pandemic. So I want you to watch this just for about a minute, minute and a half. It's really short. But I want you to watch this baptism and, and ask yourself, like, is there any elements of it that doesn't present itself maybe if we were to do it live? Besides the obvious, water, wet, hug, ooh, wet, you know, that kind of stuff. But just in terms of some of the key components of it. So let's watch this together. 
the part I love the most in that is that they just left them in the water. <laughs> we just do it really quick. You can bring them. Can you imagine? Okay, and uh, we're baptizing this person right now. <laughs> Loved it. But why am I sharing this? Because once again, the message is still there. Amen? The gospel. But the method has changed. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see it anytime soon and taking off. But I really feel like that it's something that we can see happening into the future, especially as things get better in terms of the technology. So once again, the question now for us is how do we connect in the midst of a pandemic and even a post-pandemic? How are we going to connect and relate with people around us so that we can still share the consistent message of the gospel, but to do it in a different way so we can reach more people for Jesus Christ? So the one thing is simply this is that we must connect with people so that we can connect them to God. That we must connect with people so that we can connect them to God. You know, I think one of the greatest ways to be able to really show who God is is that people have to be connected to us in our lives, in our community. Like you hear these stories of people having dreams about God appearing to them, which are very few and far between. There's, there aren't too many of those crazy stories like that. But a lot of the times, the stories that we hear of transformation are the stories of people who got connected to us through a life group, maybe came out on a Sunday celebration, and they experienced something, and they continued to grow. They felt the sense of belonging, and as they began to share their life, and as they heard other people as they shared their lives, that lives were being transformed. And that's why, for me, I'm, I'm like, how do we connect with people so ultimately we can connect them to God? And that's why whether it's life group, whether it's harvest games, uh, a retreat, these getaways that we have, it's always about how do we connect with people so we can get them connected to God. So I want us to just do a little huddle group. I know that we were doing a lot of this during the online, but I think it's also good for us to kind of interact together. And there are two questions that I want us to think about. The first one is this, why is it hard sometimes to connect relationally with people? Uh, just why is it difficult? Because I don't think even before the pandemic, some of us were still struggling with connecting with people. So why is it sometimes hard to do that? And the second question is this, what makes it difficult to connect our families, friends, and colleagues to God? So once you think about why is it hard to connect with people, then talk a little bit about why is it so difficult for those people who are in our lives to connect them ultimately to God, all right? So if you can just kind of... Uh, Make a group of three, all right? So try to keep some distance. But if you could, once again, you could still put on your mask, and then it will help us to be able to uh, keep some uh, safety here. So turn to a couple of people around you. Talk about that. I'll give you about a six, seven minutes, and then we'll come back together. Let's just jump right into this. We're going to talk about how we must connect uh, with people around us, those that I, I believe God sovereignly placed into your lives and so that we can eventually connect them to God. I want to have us look at Acts chapter 17. I know this is a familiar passage to many of you. In Acts chapter 17, we're going to start from verse 16 all the way through verse 34. And I'm going to give you, and instead of two points and kind of expanding on it, I'm going to go through like a rapid fire on six points. These are six skills that you're going to need 
If you don't know why people are laughing, it's okay. Uh, ask somebody later. Uh, six skills that you're going to need in order to engage people, all right? So we're going to engage. I'm going to use that acronym, engage. I know some of you want to use that word in a different context with a D at the end, engaged. But uh, we're talking about engaging in relationships here, all right? So we're going to go ahead and look at uh, starting from Acts chapter 17. The first one is this. You have to establish your purpose. You have to establish your purpose. I'm going to go ahead and read the first part of verse 16 in Acts chapter 17. It says this. So Paul, uh, excuse me, let me, that's not verse 16. Here's verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, I want to just pause here and talk about how it's important to establish our purpose when it comes to connecting with people. The question now becomes, who was he waiting for? And why was he in, in, in Athens? So it helps to understand the context. And if you look at chapter 17, just from the beginning in chapter one, or chapter 17, verse 1, all the way to verse 15, you will notice that Paul and Silas, they were in Thessalonica. And while they were in Thessalonica, they were preaching the gospel, but there were a lot of people there, especially the Jews, who got offended and were angry. And in fact, if you read that passage, it says that a mob began to form and they were burning down the city because that's how angry they were as Paul was preaching that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and he was crucified and then rose again from the dead. And then what happened was because it was threatening his life, uh, they sent him off to Berea, uh, which is uh, some lengths away from Thessalonica. But then they were sent to Berea and it was in Berea where they realized that many of the people really examined the word of God to really see what they were saying was true. But the problem was that as people were coming to know Jesus Christ in Berea, some of the men and women and some of these people heard about what was happening in Berea from Thessalonica. And guess what they did? They actually went to Berea to further cause trouble and eventually hopefully kill Paul for preaching this gospel. So it was in the midst of all this slowly escalating that many of the friends said, hey, Paul, I think you should go because you're a trouble. No, uh, not that you're a troublemaker, but you're preaching the gospel. They want to kill you, and we need you alive. So they sent him by night to the sea, and that's where Paul ended up in Athens. And so here's Paul in Athens, and he's now waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him from Berea, into Athens. So this gives you a little bit of a context. Now, why is all this important? Why do we have to note in verse 16a, it says, well, now Paul was waiting for them in Athens. What we see is that he was on a mission. That's why he was there. That's why what you will see transpire in these verses coming up, it was because he clearly knew his purpose. That, that was established in his life. That he's not here to live for himself. He's not here to do things for his own pleasure. But his mission and his purpose in life was to love people, especially his own, the Jewish people, by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to just challenge some of you who say, I love my family. I love my parents. I love my sister. I love my brother. I love my colleagues. I really love my friends, but they're not believers in Jesus Christ. 
What I'm trying to say is this. You, you should not shove the gospel down their throats because they know you very well, and I don't think they'll take it very well. But my challenge to you is this. Are you very clear on your purpose or why you're friends? It doesn't mean that oh, I'm just friends because I want to share the gospel and that's it. No. That God brought these people into your life for a reason. And that the burning thing in your heart is that you want them to know Jesus Christ. And so everything that you do, whether trying to be a good son or a good daughter or trying to love on your brother or your sister or just trying to be a good co-worker or a colleague, everything is so that Christ can be glorified by them coming to know eventually who this Messiah is for themselves. I don't think all of us live our lives that way. And this is the reason why we just get up and we go to work. This is the reason why we just kind of do the same things with our friends and sometimes it's not very edifying. When you establish your purpose and you know why you are here on this earth, you know why you are in Hong Kong, it will radically change how you see the things around you and opportunities that God gives unto you. So I'm wondering, do you have this clear purpose in your life, especially with the relationships that you have? Are you loving them because God loved you? And now you realize God loves them. And all the things that they're chasing after, because you've experienced it, it's going to lead to emptiness. If, whether it's a relationship, whether it's success, money, all these things are going to leave us empty. And some of you have experienced that, and you know what that feels like. And here you are seeing your friends and other people, your colleagues, and it breaks your heart. Like this is the reason why everything that Paul did was because of this established purpose, that he was here to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing that you will notice as we look into the story is not only establish your purpose, but the next thing that I want you to understand is you have to notice the situation. You have to notice the situation. It's a little bit of awareness that we've been talking a lot about in our church. Look what happens in verse 16 again, and I'm going to read it from 16 Bravo. It says this, His spirit, Paul's spirit, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So as Paul was purposefully waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy to get there, he didn't just sit around and do nothing. See, this is what happens when you have a purpose in life. You don't waste time. You know what you're here to do. That's why it's important to establish that purpose. But we notice here that one of the things that begins to happen is that his heart was provoked. And I want you to notice here, he was very observant and he saw what was going on. Now, it would not surprise me if he was doing some prayer walking, just right around the city. As he was walking around, he probably saw all the stuff that's going on, and it burdened his heart. Now, some things that you have to realize about Athens is that if you don't know, it's literally what it's known as the birthplace of democracy. Also, it was a very cultural and an intellectual community during that time, especially during the heyday when it was one of the most popular cities uh, during the biblical times. And back then, Athens was recognized as a center of education and culture. One of the finest universities uh, was started there in Greece. And not only that, because it was such a cultural place, there was a lot of architecture. And many of you have seen some of these things on pictures of uh, just the beautiful 
buildings and some of these old, like they're thousands of years old. And so my family, we had a privilege of actually going to Greece for one of our family vacations just more recently. It was in December. And it was the first time all five of us were together after, I think, four some years. So it was a really special treat, at least for me and my wife. And we were able to go to Greece and just just check out all the different buildings and the different famous sites. And here's one picture. And I was telling, I was joking around. I was joking around with the girls that I, I'm, I'm, I'm working for the tourism uh, industry for Greece. So uh, you're going to see a little family pictures here and there. And so if you look in the background, you'll notice that that's the, uh, that's the Parthenon. And so right there, we are, this is, uh, and later I'll show you a picture. This is Mars Hill. But we were able to just, uh, just enjoy not only the beauty, but we realized, wow, one, like back then, it must have been like incredible sight. Because even for us being there, and some of these buildings were already like burnt out or I guess kind of uh, structurally it was damaged. But just to see the, the height and the width and the, just the massiveness, it, it, it was incredible. So see, here's another picture of uh, the Parthenon uh, that we were able to finally go up to that hill and uh, just check it out. And they're doing millions of dollars of just reconstructing and just renovating and trying to preserve history there. And then we were able to go to the first Olympic stadium. This is where they had the first Olympics. And so it was cool. Just check it out. And like, it doesn't look that big until you get there and go all the way on top. And then I saw my kids down there and they were like a little dot. I mean, they were able to fit thousands and thousands of people and I'm just thinking, wow, back then, some thousands of years back, they were actually able to build a stadium this big. Those of you who know about the University of Michigan and their stadium, it's nothing compared to, <laughs> praise the Lord, but it was nothing compared to what I saw here. It was just, it was, it was massive. It was big, right? And, uh, and then we took this funny picture because this is where the, the emperor and his wife and the different people uh, were sitting there. We're, we're trying to be really cool, but we couldn't. We just started laughing because it was so ridiculous. But uh, this is where they would sit and then usher in the games, all right? I'm showing these pictures because I want you to see just the beauty of and just the architecture. And because back then, this was a place. So here's Paul, knowing his purpose. He walks around the city and he sees in Athens just the cultural beauty of everything, but also he realizes that there are all this idol worshiping. Because the place for worship was in temple of Athena. She was the Greek goddess of wisdom. And so everything that centered around the city really boasted about wisdom, how much knowledge you had, and about culture, and there was idolatry everywhere. That's why, as I read, Paul's spirit, it says it was provoked. Now, that word provoked, it means to sharpen, to stimulate, to irritate, or even to stir. So here's Paul. Let's just say he was doing a prayer walking. He was walking around, and his heart was stirred. He was being irritated. He realized all these people are worshiping all these idols, and it broke his heart. That's why in the New Living Translation, it says he was deeply troubled. In the NIV, it says he was greatly distressed. I'm just wondering, when was the last time you felt like what Paul felt? 
And this is the problem with so many of us. We can literally go through a whole day in our city and not see what God sees. When was the last time you went into some part of Hong Kong and you realized some of the situations and the the problems that plague Hong Kong? It, It breaks your heart when you think about it. When was the last time you were on campus just walking around and seeing some of these students thinking that it's all about getting an A and a 4.0 GPA and thinking that that's going to make them successful. When was the last time that your heart was this burdened? And even looking through the veneer of some of these guys who feel so like they have everything, driving the Porsche or driving that car and having that suit, having that success or having that bag, and they look like they have everything put together, but deep in their hearts, they're just trying to fill things and cover themselves in their emptiness. When was the last time you actually felt provoked, stirred? That's why for us, if we're going to connect with people, you have to first establish your purpose and you got to notice the situation around you. And a lot of it comes through prayer. A lot of it comes through just being observant. A lot of it comes through asking questions. So the first one is what? Establish your purpose. Second one is? Notice the situation. The third thing is go to the people. Go to the people. Let me go ahead and read verse 17 through verse 21. It says this. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of our foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. 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 Saying, may we know what this new teaching that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Let's just pause here. I want want to talk a little bit about going to the people. Now Paul went to the usual place of his missionary journey. Whenever he stepped into the city, the first place he went to was what? Everyone say it. He went to a synagogue. Why? Because that's where the Jewish people were. And also there were God-fearing non-Jews, the Gentiles, who would go to the synagogues. And so they were the ones who at least had some understanding that there is this God and the Messiah was coming. That's why he would go there first. But it's interesting that what we see here is that in verse 17, we see that he went to the marketplace every day. Now, the marketplace was known as the Agora. The Agora was pretty much the center of the city. And this is where a lot of the trading and selling of food and goods So it was literally, if you want to look at Hong Kong, it would be like somewhere in the island in Central or Admiralty. Somebody like, well, yeah. If you're on Kowloon side, I don't know, Mong Kok maybe, TST. Like it was literally the center and the happening place where everyone would go there to gather because everything was there. 
So once again, to advertise Greece and, and tourism, uh, we actually were able to see, we were actually able to see the first Agora that was established. They said this was probably the oldest one. And all they have right now is just the opening part right there. But we were able to see the grounds and they said if they, they, don't, they haven't dug into it, but there's layers of just different eras of this market. And it was interesting because as we were walking around, it was literally right in the center of this whole city in Athens. So if you, even if you look at a map, you realize this is where it started growing out of and it began to build at that time. But it's interesting because it says here that Paul goes to the Agora, the hottest, the busiest, the most happening place because everyone is gathered there. And what do we see? Well, we notice that as he's there, he's talking to people because a lot of the philosophers were gathered at the Agora, the marketplace. And they were debating because everyone just hung out there. So they were trying to share some of their wisdom and knowledge. And the two group of people that he mentions are the Stoics and the Epicureans. Now, why is this important? Because what I want you to understand is that these two groups of people really encapsulated the philosophy of that time. The Stoics were more fatalistic in their thinking because they all they saw was material things. And so they didn't have this concept of eternal life. Everything is right now, and this is it. And after you die, you die. Now think about it. That is driven by the sense of independence, the sense of pride, moral order. So what happens? Then they themselves are God. And they believe that everything in nature is going to all be brought to this great climax, and we're not going to be here anymore. The Epicureans, in some ways, a little bit different, but similar. But the thing is that they desired pleasure more than anything else. Because once again, it was not so much reason like the Stoics, but it was more based on experience. This is the reason why they emphasized that uh, the supremacy of the individual, it promoted this whole self-centered lifestyle and self-fulfilling lifestyle because it's all about you. Even though they were different in their philosophy, what is similar is that they both hated the gospel. It was literally against the gospel. And that's the gospel Paul was preaching. And you will notice in verse 18, it says, Paul was a babbler. That word babbler is really interesting. It simply is translated as seed picking. So you know like those little birds that are picking like little seeds? That's what they called him. He's this little babbler. He doesn't know what he's talking about, especially as he was talking about the whole resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just think about this for a moment. That here is Paul bringing something that is so contrary to their philosophy of life. Because on one hand, it's all about pleasure. On the other hand, it's about independence and wisdom and how much you know. And the world is going to end. And so these two philosophies that governed all of Greece at that time and Athens in this great city. Here's Paul bringing a gospel message that is so contrary. Because it's about dying to yourself. It's about Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead. When some of these guys believed that there was no afterlife. Can you imagine what, why they said he was like a bird brain, like this little bird eating up all the stuff? This guy's stupid. 
He doesn't know what he's talking about. And as I was thinking about this, I realized this is exactly what happens with us when we encounter people with a different philosophy. Think about what rules our city right now. Pluralism. Relativism. Humanism is huge. It's all about results, what you do, what you can or cannot do. I've never seen that much superstitious mindsets or behaviors than coming to Asia. There's so much superstition that goes on, and it's perpetuated. It's governed by fear. That's why they would burn all this stuff on certain holidays, because it's really driven by fear. And that's what superstitious uh, people or superstitious people live by. It's, it's driven by fear. You think about syncretism, mixing in of different philosophy, Confucianism, along with Christianity, a little bit of Christianity. That sounds Christian, but not really. Like, these are the things that are going on in our city. And the question for us is, how are you going to go to these people and connect with them? Well, first of all, I will say this, and I want to challenge some of you to be well-read and to be well-knowledgeable, if you will, of the things that are going on in this world. I'm constantly amazed how many Christians don't even keep up with the news. It boggles my mind. You are living in the small little bubble of yourself and there's no way you're going to connect with people if you don't know what consumes them and what makes them afraid, what gives them hope, what is it that they're pursuing after. I was having a conversation with somebody and also I had an opportunity to actually share uh, on a conference level via Zoom about the situation with some of the young people here in Hong Kong. And as I'm talking with some of the people, and it's amazing because many of them feel like there is no sense of hope. And many of them struggling to make sense of everything that's going on politically here in Hong Kong. And regardless of your views, to understand where the other person or the other side is coming from, to be able to make sense and to have love for all people, it's not an easy thing. And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, how do you go to a, a, a person or a group of people in your workplace, in your school, that has completely different values and views of life and to be able to share the gospel message? And here's my challenge, and Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians. Let's, let's read it. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. It says, For the word of the cross... It's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs, and here are the Greeks, right? The Epicureans, the Stoics. The Greeks seek wisdom, and we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What a great reminder. 
that it's not about how eloquent you are or how smart you are. It's about the hope that we have in the gospel through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a stumbling block for many people. To tell somebody who's well accomplished, you got to surrender your life. That you need to learn how to depend on somebody outside of yourself. To go to these people and share the love of Christ. And can I just say this? You can win every single argument with somebody at your workplace or your family member or even at school. And you can lose the battle. Are you with me? The point is not to win the argument. The point is you got to win them over with love. But that doesn't mean you shy away from sharing the gospel. And I always tell people, share it from your perspective, what you experience. They cannot deny that. That's what you've experienced. That's why if I can encourage you as one of the next steps is to craft your story. Share it in such a way that there's a one-minute version and there's a, uh, like a eight-minute version and then there's a testimony. That's like a two-hour version. I love the one-minute version because that version is the one that's going to get them interested. And I do it all the time. I talk to random strangers. I love it when they wear T-shirts with things on it because I read it. I go, oh, are you from California? They go, oh, no, no, no. One time they had a Michigan shirt. I was excited. I go, are you from Michigan? He goes, no, no. I'm like, do you know anyone? No, 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 no. And then I guess they bought it at GU. And this guy said, I just like the color. And then I'm like, okay, should I talk more or should I not? And I'm just like, I was excited because I'm from Michigan. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's not, it's not going to flow today. So I said, well, see you later. <laughs> but you got to go to the people. Some of us, we avoid people, but you're never going to be able to connect with them, to connect them to God, unless you go to them. So the E is what? The first one? Establish your purpose. The N is? Notice the situation. The G is? Go to the people. And the A is affirm common ground a firm common ground i'll explain what i mean by that let's go ahead and read verse 22 and on because now it's shifting uh, just just let me pause here and just kind of uh share with us that i think some people say pastor is it okay if i go to some of these places that are like shady because <laughs> that's where the people are L, K, you know, can, can I go to some of these places? Can I go to that place? And I'm not going to tell you what you can or cannot do. I would always ask people to check your heart. Because a lot of times we might want to do things or go somewhere because there's a lot of stuff going on in here. But I don't think we should judge those who might want to go out of that desire to be where the people are. 
I think that one of the problems that I see in our church, I don't know, this is not even in my notes. I just, just popped up. So I'm going to believe that this is from the Holy Spirit. So listen, one of the problems that I see is that we're so good at inviting people to our thing. Are you with me? Like we have a Thanksgiving outreach. Why don't you come? We have this thing called Corin Teams. <laughs> Why don't you come? Like we're really good at inviting people, inviting them to come. But the problem is, when was the last time you actually went to one of their performances? And I know sometimes there's a lot of things that conflict and it's hard because how do you make the best decision? And this is where you got to get wisdom from God, get input from different people. And sometimes there's always a loss in both sides. But ultimately, what I want to just encourage us is this. You will never make a difference if you're always asking people to come to you. You got to be willing to go to them. That doesn't mean that if they're going to go and do something really stupid, you're like, okay, Pastor Sessa, go to the people. That's the G, you know. I always tell people sometimes you can find a good win-win. And to be able to find something that they enjoy doing and then you go and do it with them. Maybe not that thing that's not going to be beneficial for you. So I just share this because I, I just feel in my heart that many of us try to bring people to us. But the real missionary, the missionary spirit is that you have to go to the people. Can I get a good amen to that? Verse 22. And through what, what, what is it? Through 28. Okay, let's read it together. So here's Paul. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus. Areopagus. Okay, Areopagus. In the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as if passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Let me just, uh, I'm going to summarize this quickly because it's a big uh, chunk here. But what Paul does, and I think this is really important, is finds common ground. What I mean by common ground is find something you can relate to. Now, I don't know how many of you know people from the Islamic faith, but I really enjoy talking to people from the Muslim faith. Even though we're completely like different in our belief of salvation and all that and who Jesus is. But one of the best conversations I have is with Muslims. You know why? Because when you think about Jewish faith, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, these three faiths believe in a monotheistic God, that there is one God. 
And the beautiful thing about the Muslims and the Islamic faith is they believe that Jesus Christ was a prophet and he was a good teacher. That's what I call common ground. Another thing I notice about Muslims is that they really believe in living a holy life, or they try to. But they have no concept of grace. That's why that opens a door for me like crazy. I think I shared with you one of the conversations I had because their mindset is this. Do a lot of good so all your bad can be offset and then you'll go to heaven. Because it's all about earning salvation. So I always ask them this question. First, I got I to get to know them because I don't want to like, scare them. So, so I get to know them. They get to know me. And then I'll go, I have a question though. And I say, let's just say your good works and all your bad deeds are 50-50. Exactly 50-50. I know, they, you know what they say. I'll tell you what they say. I'll tell you the narrative. It cannot be. No, no, no. It cannot be. I go, I know, but let's just say it is. For argument's sake, my friend, my brother, let's just say for argument's sake, it's 50-50. Then I say, what would you do? Or what would Allah do? It's amazing how in that moment there's this realization for many Muslims. They don't know. Because their whole life is about doing these five pillars of Islam and trying to be good. It's all about earning salvation. And it's in that moment that that little crack shows and that's when I'm able to share about the gospel. That it's not by good works. That Jesus, when he lived his life in a perfect way, which they believe, was because we could not live it for ourselves. That's why he died on the cross. Even though they don't believe it. Some of them don't even, some of them acknowledge that he died on the cross, but some of them will not. And that's why he resurrected, which no one believes. And this is where we're different. But I'm able to help them to think. And I'm sharing this because... Part of learning how to affirm common ground is find those things that are similar and then help illuminate the slight differences or the major differences that will change your life. And a lot of it is through your life. This is why connecting with people is such an important thing. Affirm common ground. Paul's strategy was very simple. He made contact. He realized they were worshiping this unknown God, but he knows the God that he worships, that it is known, that you can know him. So what does he do? He acknowledges their religiosity. He acknowledges their faith. It's all, but he doesn't say, you're wrong. He goes, I, I see that you're very religious, that you worship this to this unknown God. So he's finding common ground. And from there, he's slowly explaining about the creation of the world. And he goes on and explains. I'll share it in the next point. But he just goes on and explains. And this is where... You win people over. So I want to encourage us when we think about find common ground and affirm it. If some of these guys are really looking for happiness, affirm that. Who doesn't want to be happy? If some of these people are really trying to please their parents, I don't think there's anything wrong with loving your parents. Affirm those things. If they enjoy a certain hobby, right? Common ground. That's why you have to be able to find what the common ground is. Mango common ground let me just go on the E is establish your purpose the N notice the situation the G go to the people the A 
a firm common ground, and the G is gospel-fluent explanations. Gospel-fluent explanations. And let me just pretty much, because I, I, I'm going to kind of, I, I wanted to kind of mesh these together, but I wanted to separate it because if you look at his sermon that he gave to the people, which he did it eloquently, is that he broke it into four ideas about who God is. That's why he talked about God being the creator. He created all things. Um, verse 24 and 25. He talked about God being the ruler, that he rules over this earth in verse 26 through 29. He talks about him being the savior in verse 30. And then he is the judge as we look at this. That's why, I mean, I'm not going to have time to read this, but if you just look at verse 29 through 31, you will notice that's what he's talking about. That the judgment is coming, that God is this judge who will come in verse 31. And look what happens. This is the pivot point of what he was sharing. That he is now introducing Christianity in a very distinctive way compared to their philosophy of life. That it's through the work of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he preaches. That's what it hinges upon. So that's part of the gospel fluency. And learning how to explain it through the gospel. I want to just encourage us. I, I know some of you have taken the gospel fluency kind of like the different classes that we offer, different things that you probably heard, the gospel paradigm, the human paradigm. I want to encourage all of you, if you're serious about connecting with people and connecting them to God, you have to be fluent in this gospel language. You have to catch yourself or you have to be able to catch it in other people. That's a very human mindset. What is the gospel? It's not just Jesus loves you and died on the cross for your sins. To be gospel fluent, there's nuances. There are different things that we talk about when it says the good news. It's not only his death. It's not only his resurrection. But what does that mean for us in how we live our lives? How do you deal with failure? That will show you what kind of paradigm and how fluent you are. Failure is good. How you process failure. How about results? Like sometimes we're such a result-oriented culture. But it's not about results, right? A lot of it is the process. Because if it was about the results, then I think many of us will fall short. We all do. So you got to catch that within yourself to be fluent. And then you can catch it in other people and say, how do I now share this? That they might not fully understand, but how do I share it? A lot of it come back, comes back to you, sharing it from your life and what you've learned over the years. Let me close with this one. The sixth is expect God to work. Expect God to work. Just because of time, I'm just going to, uh, I'm not going to read it, but let me just summarize it for you. After he preaches about the resurrection, it's amazing because it says here in these several verses that there was a mixed reaction. There were some people who totally rejected it. There were some who were like, oh, this is really interesting. And so they wanted to know more. And it says the third group were people who actually believed. Now, one thing that you have to understand, a lot of different commentators and different people will say this that it seems as if Paul was very ineffective in Athens, partly because he was only there for a short time. But listen, they said there is no church that was clearly mentioned about Athens. There were many other churches in different cities, but there was nothing mentioned in Athens. So once again, it's not so much about the results. It's about what the Spirit of God is doing. And then there is this one woman, Damaris, that we see here in this passage that she became a believer. 
And even if it means one person comes to know Jesus Christ, it's worth it. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Just even one person. If the whole year of doing life group, this one person comes to know Jesus Christ, it's worth it. If one person can turn their life over to Jesus, it's worth it. If one person can experience the gospel and transformation, it's worth it. And so here is Paul, and there's no mention about church in Athens, but here's a woman who actually came to know Jesus Christ and committed her life to Christ. And so you have to expect God to work, but trusting that it is His job of transforming lives. It's not yours. It's His work. So be faithful in sharing, connecting, but let Him do the changing and transforming and believing in that. I'm going to close out with this um, and we're going to just spend some time in prayer and like I said I think one of the things I missed the most about our gatherings when we had was just the corporate worship just to let God speak to us us expressing these songs as prayers to God and praying with one another praying for each other uh, I'm going to quickly now with this idea of just engage so let's go through it again the E is what? establish your purpose the N is Notice the situation. The G is go to the people. The A is affirm common ground. The G is gospel fluent. <laughs> Speaking in tongues right now, right? Gospel fluent explanations. And then the E is expect God to work. All right. With that being said, the question now becomes how do I apply that in a digital world? I'm just going to give you some quick things to keep in mind. Some of you already know this, so I feel like I'm, I'm just. I'm just repeating things you already know. But can I just give us some uh, helpful things that I've kind of been keeping in mind as I've been connecting with a lot of people digitally? First of all, find connection points. What I mean by connect, find connection points is there's so many different things. Let me share with you. There was a person that I was in a conference with. There were about 130-some people on this conference. And so as we were on this, I was just kind of looking at different people. You know, sometimes you could look them up and stuff, right? Pretending you're paying attention, but you're like, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of like looking at some of these different people. And there was one that kind of stuck out because they were from Singapore. And uh, it was a wife and a husband, and the wife was leading praise for the whole thing, uh, for the special uh, kind of gathering that we we're having. It was a global gathering. There were people from India, from South Africa, Europe. There, people were everywhere, United States. Uh, Brazil, all these places. So we were in this global conference. And man, when she led praise, I was just like, whoa, like so something was there. So I'm like, interesting. I'm like, you know, who are these guys? So I checked them out. And guess what I found out? I found out that they actually started a school of worship in Singapore. I go, no wonder. You know, when, when something like clicked, you're like, oh, I knew something was different, right? So here I am. And, and then guess what happens? And you know how they do breakout rooms randomly? <laughs> and the husband was in my breakout room. So we were just chatting and, you know, and we had like, a, I think, three breakout rooms during this time because it was a two-day conference. And uh, it was like three per session or per time that we were together. It was like a four-hour meeting. And so as I was part of this, like he was in my breakout room three times. And every time we were together, we had some great conversation. I'm like, man, that's, that's insightful. And they're like, yeah, you know, we're going back and forth. And, I, you know, Singapore, <sighs> chili crab. Anyway, um, so I was like, oh. So 
what I did was I actually sent this guy an email. I go, hey, can I get your email address? You know, private chat. You know, uh, can I get your email address? He goes, sure. And he gave me the email address. I, I, I want to contact you. I want to talk to you. And I want to hear more about what you guys are doing. So I checked out their website. And I was just like, I was reading this thing. I'm like, this is exactly what we're talking about with the bold vision. To build a school of, you know, like an institute or worship. I'm like, this is exactly it. Like, if I were to design something, it's like what they're doing. So then I, I just contacted them, and I ended up having a separate phone conversation with them. And we just zoomed in together just privately, and, and we're just hearing each other's testimonies and how they got started. And it was exciting because as I was listening to the story, I made a connection with this person. So I said, either I'll take some of our guys and we'll go to Singapore once the pandemic is done, which, you know, we would like to do, or we'll have them come and minister to us because uh, she's really anointed by God. And I was just like, really, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, because I've seen so many different worship leaders, contexts, and I was just like, there's something there. And they have such a passion for this next generation. And I was thinking, let's do the former because, you know, Chili Crab is calling out to me. So I said, maybe we'll try to stop by once a pandemic is done. But I just found a connection. And I just kind of reached out and it opened up. So just find different ways to connect these connection points. Number two, use different avenues for connection. So just don't do one way. Part of the digital world of connection is find different ways. I've been connecting with some people through Facebook. It's like, whoa, I only check that when I get a little notification, you know? But I realize some people are really into this Facebook thing, all right? Uh, and some of you are, so praise the Lord. I think that's a great, great way, a great way to connect with people. And I would say if you're below 25 years old and you still use Facebook, you're just a different breed. You're unique. Because the ones that are using it that I know, they're like 40, 50. So I'm like, hey, 20 years. I haven't seen you for a long time. But I'm making some connections through Facebook. Uh, I, I just started up just different things where I'm now connecting with some people through Instagram, which I vowed I would never be on. If you look at my personal account, the last, I guess, entry was 2008 until I just recently did it like a month or a half ago. And so I, I'm just realizing there's so many different ways to connect with people. Find those different avenues. Number three, upgrade your social media accounts. <laughs> those of you who know me, every single time my profile is a water drop. That's me. You don't need to see my face. And I surely don't need you to see my hair. But I'm just like, this is who I am. I'm the water drop. This is my mission in life. I've established my purpose. But as I've been kind of doing things more digitally, like when the Zoom, you wait for people to come on, all they see is a water drop. They're like, who is this Seth S. Kim dude? So uh, for this other thing that we had to take care of, we did a photo shoot. So I'm like, okay, let's do a photo shoot. So I'm doing this photo shoot. One with just like kind of like natural, normal stuff that I wear on Sunday. Others, I have to wear a suit and do one of those, you know, when you go, you know, you know the, the, the power move. You know what I'm talking about? The power move. You're like, what's up? And so took some of those pictures. And then what I did was I actually now started changing my profile pic. 
I upgraded. Okay, thank you. Some of you are like, finally. No more water drop. Thank you. Because I upgraded, because now I'm interacting with people more so than ever before digitally. And so if they just see a water drop, like, who, who is this mass murderer? You know, they won't know. They won't know who it is. So now there's a face. And I picked the one that I was smiling in. So it looks at least somewhat friendly. Not the one with the big eyes and, ah, Jesus. You know, so I picked the one that's somewhat friendly. So upgrade your social media. I would definitely say you might want to take away some of the pictures that you had from like two years ago, five years ago. Just upgrade it. Look at it and say, if someone saw this, would they be like, I want to get to know this person. Number four, look presentable. I see some of you on Zoom for various meetings. Some, now some of you guys who've been on Zoom with me, like, is he talking about me? No, I'm not. Stop being so self-centered. It's that other person that was next to you, right? <laughs> but I think looking presentable is something that's very important because first impressions are important, but it's not everything. Are you with me? Amen? Amen. There have been some people I'm like, oh. But then I'm like, oh. Okay. I cannot believe you found that picture and put it up there. That's going to be on my LinkedIn one, all right? So. Look presentable. Some of you, when we go to the, or some of these morning meetings, your hair is praising the Lord over here. You can totally tell you just woke up because you're like, oh, you know, taking out the eye boogers and, you know, your hair is like, I hope that you guys look presentable because once again, you're representing Christ. Amen. Some of us are on the other extreme. You always get self-conscious. You always put it on like your profile pic or just a blank. We're like, hey, we can't see you. Oh, yeah, I'm taking care of something now. But you're, you know, I don't know if you know this or not because I was talking with some people in Korea. And in Korea, like it is incredible because a lot of people don't want to put on the camera. Because in Korea... Koreans, man, you got to pray for them. So messed up. <laughs> Koreans in Korea, they are so consumed with how they look because of all the uh, whatever they do, the, the mask, you know, all that stuff, that a lot of these guys don't like to put on the camera when they're on Zoom. But you know how that is? It's like really weird talking to like this blank, just the name, Seth S. Kim. Hey, Blank screen, how are you, you know? So I think you got to look presentable, right? Don't go to the overboard, but just look presentable. Last, is the last? No, one more, two more. You have to be mindful of nonverbal cues. Oh, I, was gonna, I was trying to find it, but it was just too late. But I wanted to find some of these teachers who are not now getting like total press coverage because they're teaching, but they have to go extra. Okay, kids, what is this? You know, like when you see it, you're like, OMG. You're like, that's too extra. But like these teachers are so engaged and you're like, wow. Like now, especially with little kids. Are you with me? And some, some of us were just there. We're like, uh-huh, yeah. Like you got to watch your verbal, uh, verbal, nonverbal cues. So some of the things I tell people is, you know, you got to smile. You, you got to like nod your head. 
you got to go a little bit extra. And so even when you're explaining, you got to be like somewhat excited. And so that's why you got to frame your camera in such a way where they can see your hands. I don't know if you notice that. It's important. So just watch your nonverbal cues. Lastly, or no, not lastly, keep things focused. I think part of learning how to connect digitally and applying what we shared as principle to engage is to really focus in on why you're in that meeting, why you're connecting with that person. Stay focused and whatever purpose and accomplish that God, or purpose that God has given to you to be able to keep that in mind. Lastly, follow up with conversations. So a lot of times, like I just shared with you, after I meet somebody, sometimes I like to kind of do a separate private message and say, hey, can I get your email or can I contact you? And just learning how to follow up, especially after I had a great huddle group time with the person, I got to know them. They're working in South Africa or they're working in India or China and there's some things that we're thinking about doing. So then that's when I'm like, hey, can I contact you later? So just follow up with the conversations and that will help. Well, let's do this. We're going to close out here. And I, I do pray that tonight, as we were talking about this, what you gain out of this is that we're trying to connect with people so that we can connect them to God. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And I hope and pray that everything from our Zoom meetings that we had, our life group meetings that we're slowly coming back live, as well as our Sunday celebration that we have, all the stuff that we're doing is about connecting people, connecting with people so that we can connect them to God. And I pray that whether it's digitally, whether it's face-to-face, uh, or just maybe a VR church one of these days, <laughs> who knows? And I always joke around about how some of us who have those bad testimonies, like, I was so messed up. You know, sometimes I joke around about holding you underwater a little bit longer, so let the blood of Jesus cleanse you. With the VR, you could just leave them there, you know, and just like, <laughs> let, them, let them get baptized through and through. So, um, I, I just pray that our heart for God and, for, and love for people, that would be the primary thing. Let's make that the primary thing, especially when it comes to reaching out to some of these people, whether it's on our campus or our workplaces. I'm excited because just when I think about everything that transpired in the last six months, like as I was thinking about this, I'm like, God, I really don't know what church is going to be like. I, I don't even know if we're going to have people coming back. But I'm, I've been amazed at the people who are still part of our church, those of you who are still serving and doing things. I feel like God is preparing us for something in the future that's going to be bigger than us. And I'll share more as time goes on of some of the things that God is opening doors for us. And I just know that this is a good time for us to just get intimate with God, grow in our relationship, grow in gospel fluency, gospel paradigm, loving Jesus, loving people. Because if we could do that well, then whatever it is that he puts before us, I think we're going to be able to do it for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.